We're continuing our uh, series today on taking God-inspired risk uh, by looking at the sixth chapter of Daniel and one of the most famous stories in the Bible, uh, the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Now today we're going to do something that we don't normally do, and that is that we're going to read through most of the sixth chapter of Daniel in six different sections, and then I'm going to allow those readings to introduce uh, the various points of the message. So let's begin uh, by looking at Daniel 6, verses 1 through 5. I'll read and you follow along as I do. Here's what it says. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God." Now, Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we talked about last week, was a Jewish exile in a foreign country. And by the time of this story, he had been in Babylonian captivity uh, for a very long time. And in spite of being a captive, he had become a trusted administrator in Babylon and had been so for many, many years. The end of chapter 5 tells us of the Babylonian king Belshazzar, uh, how he had proclaimed Daniel the third highest ranking ruler of the kingdom. But then on the very night that he uh, gave Daniel that designation, he was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom. In taking over the kingdom, Darius appointed 120 uh, satraps, basically an official who would oversee several provinces within the kingdom. And he appointed three administrators over those satraps, of which Daniel was one of the three. Uh, These were very high and important uh, positions in the kingdom. Now, the satraps were made accountable to the three administrators, and it, it, it came to be that Darius planned to set Daniel over the entire uh, kingdom. Three administrators, but Daniel was the one that Darius planned to set over the whole kingdom. Now, why is it that Darius was choosing, of the others that were available, why was it that he was choosing to promote Daniel? Verse 3 tells us that it was because Daniel distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities. He distinguished himself. There were exceptional qualities in Daniel. And then verse 4 goes on and tells us that there was no corruption in him. He was trustworthy. And then it makes the point again, he was not corrupt and he was not negligent. So this Daniel was exceptional. He was a man that was committed to excellence. Now, you would think that someone who's committed to excellence would be uh, universally approved of. Uh, Everybody likes someone who's committed to excellence, right? 
No, they, they, they don't. Uh, we're told in verse 4 that the other administrators and satraps tried to find charges to bring against Daniel. Uh, they looked and they looked for ways to, to bring something against him, to bring a charge against him. But all of their looking proved to be dead ends because there was not a charge to be had against Daniel. He was just that exceptional. But they were sufficiently determined And so they began to look and decided that there may be an opening in the law of his God. Now, what would the motivation for these men have been? Why why were they looking to get at Daniel? Why were they looking to, to set Daniel up for a fall? The text doesn't clearly tell us this, but I think it's very likely that there was simple jealousy among them. Uh, I think additionally, it's possible that Daniel may have stood between them and some corrupt schemes that they may have had. You know, maybe there was some desire among the satraps and administrators to act in a way that was in their own best interest rather than the king's best interest. And they knew that Daniel wouldn't go along with that, that Daniel would uh, stand in the way of their corrupt plans because there was no corruption in him. Uh, Either way, and I would guess that both of these uh, reasons were in play, Daniel is the target of an attempt to bring him down for no other reason than he is exceptional, for no other reason than he is committed to excellence. You know, uh, this series that we've gone through, we have identified a number of God-inspired risks that we may be called to take, and one of them is the risk of excellence. Now, we may not immediately think of excellence as being something that's risky, uh, but it was for Daniel. And some of you know firsthand that there is risk attached to the pursuit of excellence. People who aren't committed to excellence can pretty quickly take offense when you are committed to excellence. We see evidence of this in many ways. I think this has changed some. I I hope it's changed some. I've seen some evidence that it's changed. But I know when I was in school, there was a range of good grades that it was acceptable, acceptable to be in. But if you became a little too committed to good grades, if you committed yourself a little bit too much to excellence in the area of study, and you kind of set yourself off as being just exceptionally smart you're probably going to take some heat for that. Now, I never had to take any of that heat (laughs) because I stayed well within the acceptable ranges. Uh, But but I I remember two of my uh, high school classmates in Wheelersburg, Ohio, Tim and Tom Walter. Uh, They were smart. They were committed to their studies, and they got abused because of it. If you give yourself to excellence at your job, You know, instead of sitting on the edge of your desk for the last 20 minutes of the day, uh, counting down the seconds until the clock strikes five, if instead you work 10 minutes past the quit time, in some environments you are going to be targeted. You're, You're going to be disliked for making everybody else look bad. If you're a salesman that regularly exceeds your sales goals, Uh, you may very well become unpopular with the other salesmen. Now, you would think that they might want to learn something from you, but they would rather see you come back to the pack than learn from you how to 
how to get out in the front uh, of the pack. You know, people who um, are wealthy are sometimes despised for no other reason than they are wealthy. Now, it should be said that not all wealthy people are virtuous. Uh, They may have become wealthy in an unethical way. They may have stepped on a lot of people to get there. They may have sacrificed their family uh, on the altar of wealth. But a lot of people who become wealthy are able to do that for very commendable reasons. Things like diligence, things like hard work, frugality, maybe living below their means for years. You know what Dave Ramsey says, uh, live like no one else so that down the road you can live like no one else. And uh, many of you know what Dave Ramsey says. That's a good, good thing. And so they worked hard. They invested wisely. And many wealthy people became wealthy really because of exceptional character. There there was some commitment to excellence in some way that enabled them uh, to get where many of us are not able uh, to get. I read this week in uh, ESPN, the magazine, of how Aaron Kraft, who's the point guard for the Ohio State Buckeyes, um, yes, 12-30 game against Illinois. Uh, By the way, did, did Indiana and Michigan play yet? Today, okay. All right. All right. What, what time? No, no, no. I'll hurry. I'll hurry. All right. But uh, I'm rooting for whoever enables Ohio State to get the championship. Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll root for Michigan. On the home record. Root for Michigan. Yeah. Hey, if it's to get the Buckeyes the championship, why, why not? All right, anyway, back to the, back to the point. Um, Aaron Kraft is one of the most hated players in college basketball. Uh, you, you probably were aware of that if you're a Buckeyes fan. And the reasons that were given in this article were really fascinating. Uh, they mentioned his stifling defense as being one of the reasons he's hated because the, the other teams just can't stand it that he will be put on their best player and frustrate that player throughout the game. Uh, but then they also shared a theory that uh, many people hate Kraft because he does not fit the profile of someone who would be one of the most famous college basketball players in the country. People in the stands look at him, this writer said, and they see themselves, kind of Joe Average. And they think, why can he do that? And I can't. So they despise him. We're called to excellence. And yet, when you give yourself to the pursuit of excellence, it is one of the surest ways you can find of attracting negative attention to yourself. Colossians 3.23 advises us this way, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. And then verse 24 goes on and explains, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, I personally think this is the strongest verse in the Bible in terms of calling Christians to a life of excellence. If everything we do is for the Lord, then everything we do deserves our very best. Everything we do deserves to be done 
with excellence. There isn't anything that's too small, too insignificant to not warrant our giving it our very best. But there's risk to excellence. You decide you're not going to be satisfied with being average. People are going to be rubbed the wrong way. Some are going to look to to tear you down as soon as you make a commitment uh, to excellence. It shouldn't be this way in the church, but sometimes it can even be this way in the church. You're leading a ministry. You, You try to raise the bar. You set excellence as the standard. And someone says, you know, we're all just volunteers here, right? That's all I'll say about that. And let me just take a minute and talk to uh, our high schoolers. I would talk to our middle schoolers, but uh, they're in class. But if there are any of you middle schoolers in here, I'd like you to listen up here as well. Somewhere along the line, if you are in middle school or high school, you have to decide that I am going to give myself to excellence. You have to take the risk of excellence, even if it puts a target on your chest. You're going to have to ask yourself a question like this. Do I want the future that six hours a day of video games will bring to me? Is that the future I want? Because I have a prediction for you. If, if that is what you are doing now, the future you will have is six hours a day of video games. That's about all that will train you for. Or do I want the future that I can have if I give myself to excellence, if I give myself to diligent study, hard work, uh, going over and above the minimum requirements of the assignment, if I give myself to seeking knowledge on my own, not just uh, what's required of me at school, will I give myself to beginning to research, even at a young age, career options that may be of interest to me? Will I go above and beyond? Is that... Is that what I want to do to get that kind of future? Even if it means that my friends think I'm weird for how serious I am about preparing for the future, I'm going to commit to excellence. You know, I'm realizing more and more that adolescence is just a prolonged period of fun is a very recent historical development. I mean, let's face it, adolescence uh, these days pretty much runs from about 12 uh, to about 49, (laughs) all right? It it, it really does, 12 to 49. So the bulk of your life is spent in adolescence, which really is not the way it was designed. You know, 150 years ago, if you were 13 years old, uh, you knew how to do some stuff. And... uh, Uh, So this is a fairly recent development. Now, I'm in favor of fun, but it should not be at the expense of doing everything as unto the Lord, doing everything with excellence, including preparing uh, for your future. You know, some of you here are uh, just recently out of high school or you're just recently out of college and the job market is not that great. Maybe all you've been able to find is fast food work. Do that as unto the Lord. Do it with excellence. Even if every coworker you have at McDonald's laughs at you 
for taking your job seriously. Take it seriously. Accept the inconvenience of them laughing. Accept the risk of excellence. And you know what? If you do that, in most environments, in most businesses, if you just do that, before long you'll be running the place. You really will. And you know there are good paying jobs in the fast food industry. You just have to show yourself willing to work in the ones that aren't good paying before you get them. And so give yourself to excellence. Daniel was committed to excellence, and there was risk attached to it. And the risk of excellence brought Daniel to a place where the satraps and administrators were actively trying to arrange for his downfall. So look with me now at verses 6 through 9. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revealed. Uh, repealed, I'm sorry. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So because of envy, because of jealousy, because Daniel was willing to accept the risk of excellence, he is now conspired against. And having determined that the law of Daniel's God was the only way to get him in trouble, they devised this plan to have Darius issue this decree that for 30 days you cannot uh, pray or appeal to anyone other uh, than Darius. Darius signs this into law. And so again, because of nothing more than excellence, Daniel is now the victim of evil scheming that brings him to the place of being targeted by this misguided decree. Of course, as a devout follower of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, Daniel had no choice in the matter. It was not a possibility for him to go 30 days without praying to his God. This was just not an option. And so having accepted the risk of excellence, Daniel is now placed in the position of facing another risk, the risk of unyielding obedience to God. Being unyielding in obedience to God was risky. Being righteously disobedient to the edict uh, that Darius uh, set up was risky. Because the consequences for being disobedient to Darius' edict was that such a person was going to be thrown into the lion's den. So the progression. Daniel is an excellent person. Being excellent has made him the target. His only weakness that anybody can find is his commitment to his God that they can exploit. And so this edict gets passed. He can't pray to his God or he will be killed. Now, what will he do? Will he yield to the edict or will he righteously disobey? Will he yield to the edict or will he be unyieldingly obedient to God? Look at verses 10 and 11. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened to Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. 
I absolutely love that line, just as he had done before. People conspiring against him. An edict forbidding him to pray. Forbidding obedience to God. He's under the threat of death. And Daniel opens up the windows, prays toward Jerusalem, not once, but three times a day, just as he had always done. Unyielding obedience to God. Courageous obedience to God. Nothing, not, not even the threat of death could keep Daniel, could dissuade him from obedience to God. But this unyielding obedience to God causes Daniel's situation to worsen. And so we come to verses 11 through 16. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. There is so much that we could say uh, about that. I, I find a few things pretty interesting. I think it's fascinating that Darius was so fond of Daniel that he really does not care about the edict once he finds out who it was that was ignoring it. He, he tries to save Daniel. He tries to devise a way to save him. And when he could not devise that, could not come up with that, he expressed hope that Daniel's God would be able to save him. Now, understand here that Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, and the only thing he is guilty of is obedience to God and excellence. Faithfulness and excellence. And we've seen this point a few different times in this series that Uh, Difficulty does not always come to our lives because of something we've done wrong. Difficulty isn't always a result of failing God or getting involved in sin. Sometimes hardship comes to our lives for no other reason than we have been obedient to God. It's not a good refrigerator magnet, you know, story, but, but it's true. Now look at the next verses, 17 through 22. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his place and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. 
At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. So Daniel was faithful to God, even in the face of great risk, even the risk of death. And God shut the mouths of the lions and he preserved Daniel's life. Now notice that Daniel has no ill will toward the king. His actions, long live the king, his actions make it clear that he has already forgiven Darius uh, for this uh, sentence that Darius had uh, allowed to be passed down against him. So Daniel was faithful to God in the face of risk. God preserved his life and God vindicated him. Now verses 23 through 27 tell us of uh, Darius rejoicing that Daniel was safe. Uh, Tell us that there was no wound on Daniel. Which, you know, it's similar to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego coming out of the fiery furnace with not a hair singed. You know, you spend the evening with some lions and come out without a wound. That's That's a pretty remarkable thing. Uh, Those verses tell us that Daniel's accusers were then thrown to the lions. And we find out that Daniel did not make it through because the lions weren't hungry. The lions were very hungry. And uh, Daniel's accusers were quickly devoured. So we know that it was God who uh, shut their mouths. And, And then those verses 23 through 27 tell us of the honor that Darius directed all of the peoples and nations to give the God of Daniel. And so God was glorified through the risky obedience of this faithful man, Daniel. And then we come to verse 28, which simply says, So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now Daniel, uh, once he had been carried off into Babylonian captivity... Uh, as a teenager, is thought to have uh, lived in exile for over 80 years. So an entire lifetime lived in exile, away from your homeland, in a place that worships false gods. And yet even as an exile, Daniel, throughout a lifetime, prospered. He reminds me of Joseph in this regard. You remember Joseph, no matter what difficulty life threw at him, Joseph prospered. Wherever he was, Joseph would rise to the top. Even if he was in prison, Joseph found a way to prosper in prison. Daniel's circumstances were less than ideal, and yet he prospered. Now, this has been a really quick look at the life of Daniel I certainly have not done justice to him in uh, this short uh, amount of time. He is commendable for being willing to uh, risk the pursuit of excellence for the glory of God. He's commendable for accepting the risk that comes in offering unyielding obedience to God. And he's commendable for living life in such a way that he prospered even in really difficult circumstances. So what about each of us here today? We need to commit to these same things that Daniel was committed to. And so I have just a few appeals for you today. I appeal 
to all of us here this morning to accept the risk of excellence. Accept the risk of excellence. Really come to believe that everything we do is for the Lord. There is no endeavor in life, no matter how small, that we aren't meant to glorify God through how we approach that thing. So I appeal that, that you would and I would give our best in everything. Be willing to live by standards that are higher than those people who are just slouching their way through life. Even if it opens us up to ridicule or envy, gossip, hostility. Even if people decide that they're going to try to, uh, you know, knock you down a peg. Give yourself to excellence at your job, at your school, in your business. Realizing that your conduct in all of those endeavors in life is to be for the Lord. And give yourself to excellence in ministry. If you serve in flight school, do it excellently. If you serve in outreach, do it to the very best it can be done. Whatever you do, give yourself to excellence, even if it makes you the target of someone who doesn't have the same commitment. And I appeal to everyone here today to accept the risk of giving God unyielding obedience. No matter what pressures are brought to bear against you, no matter what negative consequences are thrown up uh, to you as a threat, you know, if you are faithful to God, this negative thing is going to happen to you. No matter any of that, be unyielding in your obedience to God. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend says, you know, if we can't take our relationship to the next level, I'm not sure about our future. If you're a, a woman and your boyfriend says that to you, I would recommend you say, oh, are you proposing to me? <laughs> and when he answers, no, you know what I mean. Give him a two-letter answer. No. No. And when he says, well, you know, if we can't take this to the next level, then I'm pretty much done. Give unyielding obedience to God. And you, you know that phrase that says, don't let the door hit you on the way out? <laughs> you can, I give you permission to amend that phrase and say, please let the door hit you really hard on the way out. I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to give unyielding obedience to God, even if it means the loss of a relationship that I think is really important to me. You're in high school and your friends say, you know, your lack of willingness to get hammered with us just is kind of making it difficult to hang out with you. So, you know, you kind of need to get with the program or probably not going to be hanging out that much. Offer unyielding obedience to God. I'll be just fine. I'll be just fine to hang out with myself. I'm not going to compromise. 
Your boss tells you to bill more hours to the, uh, to the customer than what was really put into the project. And he says, if you don't do it, you can find another job. Then you offer unyielding obedience to the God who says, thou shalt not lie. And you accept the consequences, whatever they are. Unyielding obedience doesn't matter what the consequences are. I'm going to be obedient. My appeal and my prayer is that we would be people who trust God enough to be courageous in the face of risk, to be courageous in the face of danger. A theme that's come up uh, over and over again in this series is present in this story of Daniel as well. Uh, I believe Daniel could offer unyielding obedience to God because he fully trusted God. He knew that God was sovereign. He knew that God was all-powerful. He knew that nothing could come to him, no harm could come to him unless it had passed through God first. There was not going to be anything that would come to him in life that hadn't gone through God first. He knew that God was in control of his life. And then here's the other thing. He spent time in the presence of God. You find yourself lacking courage to face some risk. Uh, Lacking courage to offer unyielding obedience to God. Be like Daniel. Faithfully spend time in God's presence. There's probably no greater thing we could do to be encouraged. to, To have our courage built up and to have our courage increased. Than to simply spend time in the presence of God. He prayed three times a day. Under great threat. I think he believed it was the right thing to do. I think he believed it was uh, the thing that was expected of him to do. But I believe that Daniel understood that he had to have that time with God. He needed that time with God. And we do as well. So if you're finding yourself lacking courage, one of the things you may need to do is spend more time in the presence of God. And then finally, I pray that all of us will be faithful during times of exile. You know, there might be something about your life right now that uh, has you feeling as though you are living in exile. You're in an uncomfortable place. Uh, Maybe at school or at work, you're surrounded by people who don't have your best interest at heart. Uh, Maybe you're in a lonely place in your marriage or a lonely place in some other relationship that you have. It could be any number of different things, but you are in an uncomfortable place and it feels as though you're in exile. My prayer is that like Daniel, we would be people who walk faithfully with God even in the midst of those really troubling circumstances, even in those things that feel like exile. Why don't you stand?